want to introduce Bob real quick. Did you ever wonder who pastors the pastor? <laughs> well, this is, you are indirectly, uh, we are indirectly as a church, all being pastored by Bob because he has often been a, a shepherd and a, uh, and a physician to my heart. And so I'm very thankful. I'm thankful for his friendship. I'm thankful for his fellowship. I'm <clears throat> thankful for his exhortation and his, con his, con his confrontations even. And it's been great joy. Let's now read now from Psalm 73, a Psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Uh, they, their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice loftily. They threaten oppression. They, they set their mouths against heaven. And their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge to them in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches, all in vain. Have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence? For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish, and you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow. I love hearing Chris read scripture. That is, uh, he could have a profession just doing that. So here we are in this wonderful psalm. And this psalm is absolutely fascinating because it is, it's a psalm that comes and puts before us everything about life that doesn't make sense. 
In fact, hearing the prayer request, this is exactly where the psalmist is going, and it makes uh, total sense, kind of. That's the thing, is it makes total sense, sort of. And I love this about the psalm, is it's a, a psalm uh, full of perspectives and, and gets into our life, and it's something we can all relate to. So um, I don't have a slide for the first two verses. I forgot that. So I'm going to just read that, and we're just going to jump right into the psalm. Verse, verse 1 says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And basically this means, I know good doctrine. Think about it in your life when we're suffering, when we're, uh, and the whole context is suffering, the whole context is life not making sense. Um, how do we cope with life not making sense? How do we cope with pain that's uh, brutal and unreal and something that we uh, we don't really know how to make sense of? It's there that pain is is part of us and it's something coming on us, but it's something that uh, you know when we go to think about it, it um, baffles, it confuses, it, it uh, creates this uh, underwhelming deep disturbance that um, I can't quite, I can't quite get my head around. And to be honest, most of us just push it down and ignore it. Well, what do we do with that? First one, that's what most of us do. Or we all do this if we're a Christian, if you're a true, true believer, if you have your faith in Christ, um, brother or sister, we all do this. And it's a very good thing to do. We do what verse one says, truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. In other words, those who have a righteousness from Christ, those who are wed to the beauty and the purity of Christ's heart. He is good. We know our doctrine. We make our doctrinal confession. But then verse 2 goes on, and it says this, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why? Because something isn't making sense in life. And you can go in and put up the, the first screen, if you would, um, the verses. And, and he says, in this setting, he talks about being envious of the arrogant, seeing the prosperity of the wicked, the idea that their life seems to be painless. Uh, their bodies are just, you know, they get everything they want. And they're not in trouble like the rest of us. Um, they're not stricken. They're not, they're not pushed down. They're not harassed. They don't seem to be carrying this internal weight of uh, this, uh, even as we talked about this, this pulling into despondency. Instead of that, they talk about how great their life is and uh, pride is their necklace violence or overwhelming others uh, doesn't even matter to them. Uh, it's just something they're so comfortable with. It's like clothing. Their eyes swell out through fatness. The, the Hebrew is actually their eyes are popping out uh, because they're getting so fat. Um, you know, uh, unlike our day in the past, you know, have, being fat was a uh, virtue. It meant you had wealth. Um, their hearts overflow with follies, and they just scoff 
uh, as they speak maliciously about people and they they just they go ahead and they they don't have no problem oppressing people and they, in fact they can call oppression good and noble and doing a service and uh, that's the amazing uh, thing about this that, that bad if you think about it for some reason bad prospers in our society we see he sees it then the psalmist sees it then we could see it today and if you go to the next slide um it just keeps going on um yeah if you want to go to the next slide please uh that uh of verse nine Well, verse nine through uh, 10, I don't see it on my screen, but um, anyways, verse nine, uh, yeah, there we go. And he says uh, that they set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, uh, his people, this is a little weird, it's therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault with them. It's the idea here now, not only are they just arrogant, indulgent, doing evil, oppressing, but now they're coming and scoffing at God and winning at scoffing at God. They set their mouths against heavens. Now they've turned and they've just like, look at me, look how great, there's no problem. And could there even be a God? Uh, and, and they just do it with pride. And, and, we, and we see that today. That's not very uncommon. Therefore, as people, um, meaning the people of this uh, arrogant person, turn back to them and they don't find fault with them. They praise him for their ungodliness, for their boasting against God. And they say, how can, there, how can God know? How could, is there even, like, is God even capable of knowing what's going on? And uh, you can go ahead and kill the slide if you would. And that's really what with this, we have the same thing today. We have these wealthy, ungodly people. If you want to just take down the slide, that'd be great. We have these wealthy, ungodly people. Uh, and they seem to have no cares, no concerns. They just seem to snub God. And in return for that, it is almost like God is coming and giving them a lift in power and influence, giving them uh, abundance of friends and money. And they seem to be pulling off the ultimate statement to a Christian that this life is upside down. This life does not make a sense. This world is a mess. It's a confusing, confusing movement. And so what do we do when Christianity doesn't make sense? What do we do with that? What, how do we act like that? I mean, there is that whole thing of like, well, um, there's the fake Christian okayness. And this is somewhat uh, default in American Christian culture. It just is what it is. Uh, and the idea is, you know, that but you just want to say, you know, you know, it's, it's, you know, how are things? Oh, you know, things are good. Oh, you know what? Your son died. Well, you know, God's going to use that for good. God's, God gave you cancer. Well, you're probably going to have witnessing opportunities, you know, when you go to the hospital. Um, 
and I did when I had my cancer. I, I, I think, praise God, I got to witness to an immense number of people. But that didn't make my cancer good. That didn't make it, my cancer make sense. Um, and that kind of mentality, to be honest, they're kind of doing something, they're seeing something that is actually true. People that say that, they're not completely wrong because they are coming back to verse one. God is good to Israel. He takes those that have the purity of heart in Christ and he's good to them. He's good to you when you have cancer and when these things. We know this to be doctrinally true. So that is true, but it's not the complete truth. And so there's also this idea of that they're denying the reality of Jesus said that in this world, you will have trouble. Romans 5 talks about that, that life is uh, that this squeezing of tribulation, this tribulation or really is just the squeezing and being pushed together, that this is normative. Uh, in in life, you know, Hebrews says every son he receives he disciplines. You know, so there is this realness that at life things don't make sense. And now here, the psalmist is talking about the evil person and the person that's uh, triumphing, and maybe that doesn't actually resonate with you. Um, it somewhat resonates with me, but a lot of ways it doesn't. And I want to take, talk about a hermeneutical principle here that you can get and that you could realize that this passage applies to your situation if it's very different. Is in uh, hermeneutics, you have this kind of thing of the original situation and our current situation. Neither one of those are the point. There's rather an eternal purpose in the scripture, that the Holy Spirit who had this pen that gave this to us, he had an intention in giving this passage to you, and it's an eternal purpose, and that that purpose has specific applications to the psalmist in his day, and that purpose also can have specific applications to our day. So what I'm saying here is the eternal purpose, the intention of the Holy Spirit was to have a Christian pen. What the heck? Life doesn't make sense now. My life, this world, it doesn't make sense. It ain't working for me. Uh, it's so confusing. And nothing is how it's supposed to be. It seems almost like God isn't even in control. And if we'll put up the next slide, I'd like to read verse 12 and then 13. And he says, behold, these are the things, uh, uh, behold, these are the wicked that are always at ease and in vain, and they always increase in riches. Yet for me, in vain, I have kept my heart clean and wash my hands in innocence. He's, he, verse 13 is clearly saying, it's the conclusion of this whole, this whole first section is life doesn't make sense under God in what I'm facing. 
everything, verse 13 is a clear statement that everything seems to be opposite of what it is that God is loving me, what it should look like. This is, it's in essence, listen, it, as a Christian, it, it, it's hard for us to say this. I know that you struggled to say this. So the Holy Spirit had, the Holy Spirit wrote this through a human to express your experience, to say, my life, as I look at it, this is totally bogus. It's the exact opposite of what it would look like if you loved me, if you were in control. And this, we have to bless God for God putting the psalmist here and having him write this and that God, the Holy Spirit, wanted to deliver this to your suffering heart right now to say, uh, listen, being confused a lot of times is rational. I mean, I get it. Verse one, God is good to Israel. God is good to you as his people. And if we were machines that we could just stick a computer program right in here, which I've, I've just been like, God, come on, man, just give me a chip. Just give me a little slot with a couple of chips. I will make some sure. Give me, we'll have some interaction. I'll make some decisions. But then I go pull the obedience chip off the shelf and I put it in. I pull the believing your promises in the midst of suffering and I put it in off the shelf because you know, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And yet we're not machines. Not to mention, <laughs> software doesn't work that well initially either. It's not like you write a program in five hours and then it just works. Uh, they have bugs. So, you know, software, uh, you know, often is this uh, a process of patches and then patches upon patches and you know, it, 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 it's this, even that doesn't work, but that's a machine. We as a human soul, living, in, a human soul redeemed and loving God, but yet living in this body of flesh. If we could just obey, if everybody said, you know, that, that fake Christianity thing of, oh, well, just, you know, God's going to bless it, you know, for you and just, just trust him. Well, yeah, if I could do that, then I would have been doing it already. And that's why this passage is here, is it relates to reality. It is not uh, in one sense, and we'll get to this, it's, it, we'll, we'll discover this in a minute. Um, it's not that this, well, we'll I'll, I'll skip. It's not that this person's all bad. He, he's writing this to explain and say, please relate to me. And you think about what is going on in, in, in our current day? What makes sense? What is so confusing in our current day? You can take down the, I'm sorry, the, the, the uh, scripture passage. Um, is We have so many parallels to this in Christian life, Christians thinking and thoughts today. It's like, I can't, I can't make sense of it. Even if you think about the pandemic effects, um, for the, some uh, financially, it's just devastating. And then that, that, if you're married and you're going through financial devastation, that just puts a strain on marriage and all these, and, and, and under that, or, you know, if you look culturally, I don't care which side you're on, on the cultural battles, both sides and culture say, this world, our society's broken. There's not one of us that doesn't on some level 
And many of us on a deep level just thinks, wow, our society, our culture is just broken. Uh, and the same with, with politics. But let me focus in on one way life doesn't make sense right now for a lot of us. And that's isolation. This idea of isolation and despondency, despair, um, the insane, insane, utterly difficulty of isolation that so many are going through right now um, based on the pandemic. There's, you know, it brings loneliness, it brings despair. And that isolation, that this loneliness, that there's a soul being alone much of the time, not having that regular fellowship. Already we're a society, we're, not, we're a society that actually uh, by nature is an isolated society. We're independent individuals. Uh, that's American society. We don't tend to open up and get deep real quickly with people uh, in a natural way. And uh, so this now increased loneliness, this increased isolation, it's, it can be almost like having the heel of a boot pressing down on your head, pressing down on your neck, and the pressure and pressure just holding you to the ground, having dominion over you. It makes you feel life is far from good. It's like, no, life is grabbing my soul and wrenching it down into the dust and then into the mud. Just as an example of this, in the um, last two weeks, I met two friends or saw two friends and, you know, how are you doing? And uh, the first one, she said, you know, I'm doing good, um, except two people I went to high school with committed suicide in the last month. Five days later, um, it was just five days ago, uh, I met another uh, person that uh, I had led to the Lord. And, and she said, you know, it's really good. Life's always good, but except my coworker OD'd. Uh, I could tell something was wrong. But I just, I didn't do anything. I can't make sense of it. That these kind of things, it's like, uh, this is not just in the pandemic, but it, isolation makes it far, far worse. Life, life doesn't make sense, so they're getting out. Bowie talks about this, you know, the, the, the lyric, you know, uh, it's the terror of knowing what the world is about. That's the terror of knowing what the world is about. Like when you kind of get there and you're facing life and the, the, the like, I can't hold it together. I can't keep it. I can't become who I need to be. Uh, and I don't have it. And then, and then the isolation and the aloneness and the despair and despondency just start fueling that more into a, getting stuck into a mire. And it's like, it's a terror to know what life is about. And then the next line, you know, is watching some good friends scream, let me out. You know, uh, this is something even uh, a beautiful non-believer such as David Bowie sees. Isolation is just brutal. Life often has just this, this deep, deep trouble. And, and when it happens, there's this whole swirling confusion to it that it shouldn't be this way. I can't make sense of it. 
So let's go to you. Do you ever feel like that you're on the edge of slipping? You know, when the psalmist said, as for me, my feet, they were, they were slipping. I was losing all grip. I was falling. Do you ever feel like you're on the edge of slipping that the world just doesn't make sense for you? So think about that now. Think about what are, what are the deeper elements that you won't even talk about with someone that really make life not make sense, that really make your life feel like this confusing, deep swirl that you can't quite get out of the muck of it. The, the, the items that make you internally, internally not see God's promises. They make you feel like inside that you're, you're just bent over. What are those things? And these things, they bring this insane emotional weight and confusion to us. Let's read verse 14, if you'll put that up on the screen, please. Um, and he says, all day long, I've been stricken. Or another way is this plague struck, taking a beat down. I've been reprimanded every morning. If I said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it became trouble to me. It was oppressive to me. Let's just kind of walk through these verses and talk about it for uh, a moment. Um, this idea that the emotion, if, you, if we, we just don't admit these things, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about like, hey, how's it going? Um, well, I actually feel like I am taking a beat down every day, all day long, not just for a moment, but all day long. I feel like I, I, I just, I can't seem to win. I can't seem to succeed. I can't seem to hold it together. I can't seem to belong. I can't seem to be accepted. I'm just taking a beat down every day. I'm being reprimanded. Life is, is rebuking me, reprimanding me every morning. I like this. Another translation for this word is impeached, which, you know, forget the political thing, but at least we know what the word means. It means to be thrown out. I feel like I'm being trying, I, I like, like my, my own life is throwing me out every morning. The world is throwing me out. It just doesn't make sense as a follower of God. And uh, so if I went and just started, you know, he's I, I, not saying uh, if I speak thus, uh, I would betray my good friends. But if he said, you know, I was just openly sharing this everywhere. Yeah, you don't go and stand on a street corner and talking about this or, you know, stand up in front of 200 people and say this randomly. Um, but you do share your trouble. He says, when he tried to think about it, it just was, a, it became trouble is, is the way it's worded in the Hebrew. It became oppressive. It was just, just weighing him down. And that is often like just where life is at for us. So let's go to the next slide, if we would. It's verse 17. And he says, all of this... And the key turn 
is until I sat in your presence, until I went in the sanctuary of God, until I sat in your presence and meditated on God and saw the reality, saw reality for what it is, namely that my life is found in the assurance and presence I have from you. And this, this is the key turn in verse 17. And when I went into the sanctuary of God, when I went into the presence of God, when I, when I actually, you could just put it this way, you could, because if you're in desponding, dis, struggling with despondence or despair, you're like, I think at going into the presence of God. I just, I'm the worst at it. I'm the worst of the worst of the worst at going into the presence of God. I try to have a prayer time. It doesn't work. Um, that's not quite what it means. It doesn't mean when I went and had an awesome prayer time, it can mean that. Praise God if that works. Amen. That, that, is part, that can be it. But it's broader. It's like until I went and really reflected upon my God who's with me and my Savior, and when I reflected on my God, I began to discern. I began to understand. Uh, and what he understands for, and that it, that the, the idea that this is a reorienting of everything. I see things differently. It doesn't take the pain of isolation away. It doesn't make take the injustice away. Rather, it uh, creates a new vantage point. Uh, and I, I'll give you an ex illustration. I'm. Uh, 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 if you can drop the screen for a second, my I'm. Uh, uh, you know, dad of single dad of three sons, two have already left. Um, I just got out of cancer treatment five months ago, as you know. Um, and here, uh, because now that I'm out of treatment, my last son who stayed with me through the end, uh, he just left, uh, four days ago for Kentucky. Uh, and I could. There's two vantage points to see that. I'm alone. That's true. It's true. It's going to be, there's going to be times where it just, God, I don't get it. Why, why am I, why am I living alone? Why am I isolated? But there's another vantage point just on a practical level is that my son leaving and he's going off to finish seminary in person. It, it, my son leaving is the fulfillment of everything I worked hard for, for 23 years. It's the, the me getting to take and take the fruit of the tree I planted and nurtured and grew and cared about for 23 years and labored not knowing how it was going to go. And now I'm being able to take that ripe fruit and eat it. That's what him going away is. There's just, it's a different vantage point. It, it adds new data. It's not that the other stuff isn't true. It is real and it's true, but we get a broader perspective, a more higher, more real perspective. And we go from seeing like this to seeing wide open when we come into the sanctuary of God. And as a result, if you'll put back up the verse of uh, slide of verse 17, um, he goes on to say that the end, he started to discern the end of these wealthy people. So again, you could, you could take it for the wealthy if that's 
or the arrogant ungodly, if that's a problem for you. But you could just take the eternal principle of what he's saying is, I discerned the end. I discerned how things work. I discerned reality. For these people, said they're, they're going to slip. They're going to fall into ruin. In a moment, they're going to be destroyed. And uh, man, God's just going to completely take them away. Like when one awakes from a dream and it's just done. And then uh, seeing that reality, that end, is able to change everything. And as we go on to verse 21, um, he then not only sees reality about the world, he starts to see reality about himself and his time struggling with the pain. And he says this, and this is a very godly statement. This isn't a horrible statement. This is a statement we should be saying almost every day, sometimes many times a day, at least every week, that 21, my soul was embittered. That word there is sour. My soul was sour. I was pierced in the heart or stabbed in my heart. That word for heart is, is the word there actually for, for kidney. It was, it's the seed of the emotions. It's also considered the reins of one's life. I was stabbed in my ability to direct myself. Where, the very place that I would direct and go uh, guide myself, my, my thinker, my thinker was punctured. I was no longer able to think, to guide, to direct my whole self-guidance capability, my steering wheel that I guide and direct my life. It became fractured, damaged. I didn't really know. What's so amazing about this stabbed in my, in my reins in my, my quote, thinker, is this idea that the psalmist is validating. This is what we go through. Sometimes this is where we're at. It's like we don't even know which way was up. Verse 22 just goes on and, and continues this. He says, I was senseless and ignorant before you, like a brute beast before you. Uh, and you want to think about, think about the most ignorant person that you think of in this world. Maybe, uh, you know, that might be a politician, it might be a famous person, it might be just somebody that you've known in your life. But think about the person that you might think of the most ignorant. And he's saying, that's who I am before you. Uh, and the idea here is he's like, it, it means a complete, I just didn't know anything. The, the word means not knowing. And this idea of senseless, I love it. It's, um, I didn't, I, senseless is the idea of, I didn't know which way north was. I didn't even know which way to go. Not only was my, my, my thinker, my self-director just punctured so that I, I couldn't get bearings, um, I'm going on to say I had no bearings. I didn't know how to, I didn't even know. I was so messed up. And that's how you see that with despondency. You see that with despair. You see that with depression and isolation. You see that with anger. 
it captures us. And it's one thing to grieve. It's one thing to be sad, but it starts to take over us. And we become like one without direction. And then we, we're just, and before God, though, we have no knowledge. No better than just an animal. Um, this is who we are. This is the beauty. This is the first beauty of uh, coming into God's presence. It's being able to say these things about us. And that this is not a bad thing to say this. Because we experience this so many times a day. Um, you can go and take the slide down. How many times a day do you actually not really see the world through the promises of God? You treat it like the promises of God don't even exist. Uh, there's multiple moments in every day that each one of uh, each one of us do, do that. Um, you know, it is uh, very very interesting. And that's why um, that the Christian life is a life of repentance. And this is the honesty is always the first step, the step of a repentance. The Christian life is a life of repentance. And coming and opening up and talking that I, this is how I am. I don't see your promises. I don't see your reality. I don't see your tremendous control and care and love for me and for this world and for every person in it and for every element in it. Um, I don't see that as my lens in which I'm viewing the world in this moment. I might see it at morning and breakfast, but I, by the afternoon, I don't see my life that way. I'm angry. I'm uh, despaired. I'm trying to make up for uh, the sense of not being accepted uh, that I feel. And I'm saying things that uh, are trying to cover that. See, that's the standard is holding and seeing God's promises. And then that we all fail uh, daily. Uh, there's no one that makes it through one day without doing that. But the amazing thing is this ignorant brute beast, if we'll put up uh, verse 23 uh, on the slide. Um, look what he says. He says, yet I'm continually with you and you hold tight my right hand. This is the person that, this is, this is the person that, who was a brute beast. This is the person that's ignorant like the biggest ignoramus, completely directionless and unintelligible like an animal, like a, not a civilized animal, like a brute raving animal. And that's the person that he says, in that, I'm continually with you. You hold tight my right hand. See, you're always with your papa. You're always with your papa. That's the point of this psalm. You're always with your papa. It's the point of this psalm is let's get real. Let's get honest. Life doesn't make sense. God is good. We know that. But life doesn't make sense. It's upside down. It's despairing. And I can't make sense of it. Internally, it captures us. We're caught up. This is normative again and again and again in the Christian life because we walk uh, as David says, remember my frame that I'm but dust. And in that state, your papa 
has pulled you in, taken you as his own, and you are always with him. And he's holding your hand. Look at the language here. This is, this is language to a little child from a, from a father, from a daddy. I hold your right hand. It's this assurance of God's presence to us at our, at our worst is just amazing. And our foolishness, our sinfulness, our unbelieving. And he says, when you're at your lowest, the most ungodly lowest rebellion to God's faithfulness, not just rebellion in general, but your rebellion to see the end of things, to see that God has an end and a purpose and a love. So we have the ungodly lowest to, uh, rebellion to God's faithfulness. It's in that state that you're with God. And one of the things to, to, to notice is that he doesn't say, I'm with you. As Christians, when we talk about God's presence, we know, well, God is always with you. And that's absolutely true and comforting. But this does not say that. Notice that. He said, he doesn't say, I'm with you. He says, you are with me. You are with me. And that totally changes the thing. And what it means is, is if God is with me, it means I'm kind of the one in control. I'm, I'm to, called to be an adult and I'm going versus um, he takes us and takes us into his lap. He's grabbed us, pulled us close, and he's holding us with a child, right? With a son, a daughter, a little son, little daughter, you say, I'm with you. Or no, he says, well, yeah, he does say that. <laughs> I'm trying to make the point of the opposite. It's more powerful. But he does say that. We always, you know, we always tell my son I would, when he was real little, I'm, I'm right here. But really what, it's, what, what, it, what I'm communicating is, you're, you know, you're with me is kind of more higher language. You don't speak that to uh, an, a one-year-old or an infant or uh, a two-year-old. Um, but what is it that makes a child feel secure? What does it make a child feel secure? Um, you can go and drop the screen for a second. And it's that, this idea that they know, you know what? My daddy has made me his and my daddy's going to make it all okay. Um, the, the child doesn't worry about responsibility. The three-year-old, and this is what God's saying. He's like, little child, my dear little child, He's saying to you right here, the psalmist, the, the Holy Spirit had this intention, this purpose in writing it's to say, my dear little daughter, my dear little son, don't you know that you're mine? You're not my extended family. You are my direct son. When I drive in the, in the, the pickup truck, you sit next to me, not in the back, not in bucket seats on the bench seat, you're next to me. I have my arm around you as we drive down the road. That's where you're at, my little son. God doesn't need a car seat since, you know, he's God. So he's able to do it like they did in the 60s where you're right next to him and his hands with you. Uh, so the illustration of that is, is the uh, 
my son Knox again is, um, you know, that idea um, is he could be freaking out as a little, little one. And I would just hold him in my hands when he could just fit here and I would rock him. And I would just start saying, I got you. I got you. And he would go from like little balled up, like, you know, kind of, in essence, that little kid, that little six month old or three month old was saying, life is not right. This world does not make sense. It's not safe. Take me away. You're not, and nobody's in control here. I'm left on my own. And then I'm, I'm rocking him saying, I got you. And he can feel me all down here. And his arms would just kind of go like this to a full spread, like spread eagle arms draping down, just as I'm staring into his face saying, I got you. Uh, you know, and that's what it is that your father is saying, I'm continually with you. My son, my daughter, have pulled you. And you notice it, it says, I'm continually with you. I pulled you perpetually into my presence. I pulled you into my lap. You're always intimate with me. That's the beauty. You, you, you are always intimate with your daddy. You're always with your daddy, that nothing can lessen you being with him, his presence. Nothing can alter. His love doesn't deviate. His presence doesn't shift or alter or differentiate at times. He's always with you. And this is at the point that you're not even believing that he has control of the world, that he's doing good. When you're saying, what was the point of even serving you? That's when he's saying, I'm always with you. And that's the beauty. Uh, and you notice the other child language, he grasps us by his hand. It's like, you know, what do you do with a three-year-old when you're walking through Disneyland? You hold, you know, you hold their hand, a four-year-old, you have their right hand as you're walking through the crowds. You're never walking through the crowd at Disneyland with a four-year-old or a three-year-old and, 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 uh, just letting them be on their own. No, you've got their hand tight. And that's where he says, I grasp you by your right hand. I'm going to guide you and put up the next slide for verse 24, if you would. Um, thank you. I appreciate that. And he says, um, verse 24 says, and you guide or direct me with your counsel or the better thing, this idea of counsel is like deliberative decision, your purpose, the decision, you guide me, you move, the guiding is like moving me to what you have purpose and decided on. That's what God tells you. You're a brute beast. You're senseless. You don't even know which way to go. You're acting like an ignoramus before me, your God. Um, you've been, in essence said there's there. It's almost like God doesn't love me. He's not in control. Um, that's what your heart is saying, or your attitude is saying, or your viewpoint again is saying. But He says, no. Even then, I'm guiding you. I'm moving you to that which I've decided on. 
I've decided on, I have a purpose for you. I've decided on things for you and I'm guiding and purposing just like you do with a child. What do you do when you take a child? Uh, uh, to Disneyland, uh, you, you know, I took my son uh, Knox to Disneyland when it was first time, you know, he's like three, probably just turned three and Owen was two. And, um, you know, Owen was a little too young quite to get it. I mean, he enjoyed it, but Knox was able to interact a lot more. I think Owen was just maybe one and a half and, you know, but what, what is a dad, did my son have to worry about it? No, he knew when I told him we're going to see Mickey Mouse, who had no idea who it was. I'm mean, telling him all about Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse. He knows his papa's going to get him there. It's going to take him to what he's purposed for him. And then at Disneyland, he knows I'm going to grab him by the hand, move him through the unsafe crowds. I'm going to take him to the rides that I've already decided that he needs to go on. And he is knows that after we go on uh you know it's a small world and then we after we go on the flying elephants of dumbo he knows that i can i'm going to load him in the car he doesn't wonder well what's going to happen when this all ends he knows i'm going to guide him to what i purpose i'm going to take him i put him in the car his vantage point when he see when we come into the presence of god and see from that vantage point we know God's going to get us there. That's what verse 24 is saying. God's going to get us there to what he's purposed. And he knows I'm going to take him home. And as we drive home, he falls asleep talking about the flying elephants, mumbling. And then he knows, he doesn't question. He knows that I'm going to pull, grab him, pull him out, hold him and take him in and nestle him in his bed. Why? Because he's my little child and I'm his papa. And so this is the idea is in your life presently, 24A, in your life presently, God is directing you to what he has for you. And this is dependent upon him. All of this, just as this language of a father with a child, you're going through stuff. It's a new, going to Disneyland's a new world. There's a lot of people at points, there are a lot of different things to see, and he's getting you there. And notice this, that, so that's the presence. You guide me, present tense. But afterwards, you take me to glory. Meaning, you, you're going to take it all the way to the end. You won't stop. You're going to finish the job. And that's the total, total picture here. So going to verse 25 on the slide, the response we have um, is, wow. Papa, who do I have but you? Daddy, I don't want to be in anybody else's house but yours. And then the beautiful statement that ties it all together, my flesh and my heart, they may fail. In other words, he's saying at a number of times, my flesh and my heart, my, my drive, my center of my being is going to fall down and fail. Yet, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I love this, the, the, the alternate readings there is that God is the rock or the stability of my confidence. My flesh and my heart may fail. And then notice that heart is used twice. The thing that fails, yet God is the 
stability, the rock, the thing that doesn't move of my very heart, or what does heart mean here? Heart has to do with the very center of how you view life. It is your confidence about life. And he's my portion forever. This is what I have in life, is I will always have my God. And then he goes on to talk about those who don't believe. If you don't believe, this isn't for you. You'll perish. You'll see an end to everyone who's unfaithful. He sees that there is a very, very radical difference. But as for me, it's good to draw near to God. I make the Lord God my refuge. And this is this idea of there is an experimental choice. God is always with us. Are we? God is always with us, and we are always, more importantly, with our Papa. You know, uh, we're always seated next to him. We're always his first choice in children. And yet, um, there is this experiential choice to draw near to God. In other words, to reorient, to enter the sanctuary. And we're called to do that, this life of repentance daily. It's not like something we just do once or once a month. No, this is something throughout the day. There's so many little times that we have to reorient to God really is in control. And that's otherwise these the bitterness and the, the pain and the sorrow of life to bring it back together can uh, capture us. But the, it, it, the, there's pain and sorrow in life. But there's another thing for it to capture us and overwhelm us. The beautiful thing is that we can know this, if you'll uh, turn off the screen to conclude, that God stood up for us. He became a human and stood up for you and me in the incarnation that we just celebrated. He stood up for me um, to carry our sorrows. When he was crucified, he stood up for you, little child. When he was raised from the dead, he was standing up to be the confidence, the rock of your heart. I don't understand everything, Lord. Not everything makes sense. There's pain and sorrow that overwhelms me and confuses me. It makes it so troublesome sometimes. But I know that you've grabbed me, you stood me, that I am always in your presence and that I'm always being held by my Father's arms. That's the invitation, is to see the reality of things, to see the end of things in God's presence, and to know that the Lord gives good as well as evil. As Job says, shall I not receive evil as well as good from the Lord? But that in these things, Romans 8 says that we're more than conquerors because we're held by our Papa. We're on his lap. Our Papa never lets his three-year-old go. And that's where we're at, little child. So little child, your Papa is always with you. He will never, ever leave you. Ignorant, ignorant children that we are. He holds your right hand tight. He never lets it go. He guides you through life, even when you think he's not there. 